If ads give you a pain in the nads or the nadettes, join us now on our new subscription model on Apple. It's all ad free. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah. That plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. Bonjour, Jean Davis. Ça va, ça va? Ça va bien? Moi, Et toi? moi je suis à Paris. Oh, bon, très bien. It's absolutely gorgeous here. It's roasting hot. The poor Alprisians have done nothing to deserve this, which is a double header of Mac Williams's. Lucy played a gig last night, and I'm about to do a speech on the global economy tonight. So Excellent. I don't know what they did to deserve it, but they got the pair of us. I'm also so, also so you're the, you're the support act to Lucy then, really. I'm the fluffer. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, Ed? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm stuck here in dreary old Dublin as always, Mac. As well, you gallivant around. Gallivant. Well, no, somebody's got to work, John. Somebody in this podcast has got to go out and work for <laughs> I'm a living. Just, I'm back home in HQ working away. <laughs> I'm imbibing of the wisdom of loads of others, and we're bringing all this collated wisdom to the listeners of the podcast. No, it's it's it's, it's lovely. I mean, I'm, I'm only here for a couple of days. I also happen to be in the smallest hotel room that a man has ever been in, and uh, it's been quite uh, quite an achievement. I feel I feel like a prisoner in a cell, although. Or just an average out, Dublin renter. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But when you look out, you're beside the Place de la Bastille and the Place des Vosges. Yeah, nice. Down nice, around the nice, Marais. Nice. And, oh, it's, it's great stuff. Anyway, anyway, that's why I'm here and I'll be home in a, in a day or two. But uh, fascinating times, John. Fascinating times. So while you're there, you're, you're taking the temperature of the European economy and the global economy. Uh, well, so, I am. And I have a lot of questions for you about that. Well, just before we start, I'm just going to tell you that our live podcast at the Dorky Book Festival is nearly sold out. Ooh. So uh, we will be discussing this at length. And, My nerves uh, again, have just shot up. My stress levels. <laughs> I've got the blood pressure tablets. I can give you them. Great, great. I'll give you a dose of them. I'm on the higher dose of them anyway these days. So what were you saying? The global economy? The global economy, yeah. Just looking at stuff around the world. I mean, I, I, was, I was reading there in the, in the FT that... Financial markets, for instance, have just plummeted this year okay. overall. You know, and then the US banging up uh, interest rates, the whole lot. Like there's there's so much going on. Okay, Inflation yeah. is shooting up. Where are we at? The global economy is not in a good place at the moment. Well, just so you know, last week, 
was one of the worst weeks for financial markets for a long, long time. In general, this year, in general this year, the S&P, which is the sort of the benchmark of US blue chip stocks, is down 20% this year alone. Okay. Now, if this continues in 2008, stock markets collapsed by 38%. But we're already doing 20, and we're not even into the second half yeah. of 2022. Yeah. And what is also fascinating, John, is that both bond markets and equity markets have sold off at the same time. Okay, now I'll explain what's going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Well, what's the significance of that? So equity markets are is the stock market, right? Yeah. And so what typically the stock market is linked to is the future growth rate. So if you believe the future growth rate is going to be strong and the economy is going to be strong, then what you do is those markets, those companies linked to the economy will see more profits and they'll grow, right? So typically, the equity market goes up if you feel that the economy is going to be strong in the future, okay? Yeah. If you think the economy is going to be weak in the future, the bond market will do well. And the reason is the following. The bond market is really a bet on future inflation. Now, if you think it's the bond safe market, haven, yeah, it's not word. even. It's, it's kind of a safe haven, and it's linked to inflation because they're what are they called? They're fixed income assets, right? Right. So they're they are related to perceptions of where the rate of interest is going to go. Now, if you feel that the economy is going to slow, right? Mm. What you would do then is you would sell equities, which are linked to a growing economy, and you would buy bonds, which are linked to a faltering economy. Why? Because a faltering economy will tend to give you lower levels of inflation, lower levels of interest rates, bond prices rise. Okay. So typically in portfolios, there's a split between about 60% equities, 40% bonds. Okay. So if one guy goes up, the other guy goes down. If one guy goes down, the other guy goes up. And net net, you might be actually being able to create some value, whether the economy is going up or when the economy is going down. So that's the general foundational rule of stock portfolio collation when you're putting all your stuff together, right? Sure. And this is all the stuff I worked with years and years ago, you know? And typically, therefore, your average investor and your average asset manager is going to be comfortable with the economy going up or down because their positions will be able to profit from one way or the other. However, and this is a fascinating thing, this week, right? Uh, and I, I'm, I'm quoting here from Katie Martin. Katie Martin's been on the show before. She writes yes. the long view in the FT. Really, really good analysis. Yeah, yeah. And she's writing about what happened this week. And it's well worth thinking, right? She's saying that one of these outfits that collates markets, all, all those, says since 1960, there's been 44 times where the S&P 500 has fallen for five or more consecutive weeks, right? Mm -hmm. This period is one of those. The US government bonds, meanwhile, have dropped in the same way for just 31 times since 1973. So basically what has happened is the markets have sold, sold off like this 44 times since 1960. The bond markets have sold off 31 times since 1973, but they've never sold off together. That's the key. Right, right? okay. And they've sold off together in the last four or five weeks. So this is what makes this a crunch time for markets. Because what's basically happening is perceptions of higher inflation allied to lower growth, which is something we call stagflation, are now becoming deeply ingrained in the world economy. Now, this is a huge change from anywhere we've been, certainly since 2008. Right. So basically, you've got to see what's going on in the global economy. 
Where is this feeling coming from? So the event we're talking about is the collapse in stock and bond markets. The question then is, why now? Where are the problems? And how do you get out of it? Okay, so explain this a little bit more to me, because um, this almost sounds like doomsday stuff. Well, this correlation, or no, let's say this coincidence of bonds and stocks selling off is the first time we've had this in half a century. Okay, so Mm. get that into your head. So this is big stuff. The first major issue is China. What we forget in the West, because China has always been shorthand for cheaper goods, offshoring manufacturing, we tending to get cheaper iPhones made in China, etc. But we forget that China is 17% of the world economy, right? Okay. So 17% of the world economy is a significant part of demand in the world economy. Now, what has happened in China? The Chinese are going for a zero COVID policy, which everybody in the West knows is almost impossible, right? Their zero COVID policy has forced the Chinese to take measures to close down the entire society. So they've closed down manufacturing, they've closed down companies, closed down services. One of the best ways of seeing the slowdown or the collapse in Chinese production is, I don't know if you've seen on Twitter, maps of the amount of ships waiting outside Ningbo and Shanghai, which are basically ships waiting to be filled with stuff. And there are literally thousands and thousands of tankers waiting in the South China. It's bizarre map. Well, see that map in that in that one image of the thousands and yeah. thousands of tankers waiting. What you see is stuff that was supposed to have been made in China, which is now not being made. Chinese retail sales fell eleven percent last. Why? Because nobody's going shopping. Because if you again, if you've seen the imagery from Shanghai of people being locked in their own apartment blocks and they're all singing and talking to each other through the windows, you might have seen all those images. That is an economy that's ground to a halt. Now, what happens for the global economy is once China stops producing, two things happen. And for raw materials, demand from China, and again, I'm talking about the economy, stops. But yeah. also production yeah. of stuff from China stops. And the production of stuff from China was lower cost goods. So first of all, so what you get is you get this massive big China slump. Now, the problem is, if you're going for zero COVID, there's no way out of that. Because it's not as if you can actually say, well, in a year's time, the vaccines are going to kick in, or in six months' time, the vaccines are going to kick in, and we're going to go back to normal. Because zero COVID means that you close yourself off indefinitely. So you have absolutely no interaction with the West. You've absolutely no interaction with foreigners. You're basically doing is you're sealing off one fifth of the global economy into perpetuity because there is no exit strategy from zero COVID. Ask the New Zealanders. Initially, they got it right for a couple of months and then they realized we can't control this thing. So, yeah. unless and until China accepts that it will either have to vaccinate the nation with a proper vaccine because their vaccine doesn't seem to work, or it'll have to have an outbreak of COVID. And do you remember we talked to George Magnus a couple of weeks ago, and he was saying that everything in China is now predicated on this big annual summit of the central 
Politburo in September. But China can't do this indefinitely. I mean, there is a point where, you know, they're just going to keel over as an economy. You are talking about the society that brought us such delights as the Cultural Revolution, the Great Leap Forward. I mean, we are talking about society that, at least from the outsider's perspective, seems to be able to withstand an enormous amount of pressure that we would never withstand. It's not a democracy, right? And it seems that everybody who knows a lot about China says nothing is going to happen in China until Xi Jinping is coronated for a third unprecedented time as the supreme leader. And that is September, October. Now, working back from that, John, that means nothing gets produced in China for the next four months. Right, okay. That means one-fifth of the global economy is basically out of the game, right? So, But then they're going to be hamstrung, surely, as as an economy by that stage. Well, well, that's what zero COVID means. You saw the Kiwis try to do it, a much smaller economy, and much more likely to be able to lock itself off an island economy, and they couldn't do it. So what you have in Asia is an extraordinary choice on the part of the Chinese Politburo to go for zero COVID. And that means that once, as we know, like we don't don't have to go over the COVID thing here. Again, everyone knows. But once it gets into the system, it's almost impossible to wring it out of the system other than having a massive, massive lockdown. And a massive lockdown means you just don't produce anything and you don't consume anything. And that's why you see retail sales collapsing. So basically, for the last 30 years, John, China has always been a source of demand for certain countries and a source of deflation for the global economy. Now that's out of the equation, deflation from China is off the cards and demand from China is off the cards. So you get inflation rather than deflation and slower demand rather than increased demand, which is stagflation, which is the big boogeyman. Right. So so let me ask you, just before we take a break, let me ask you about Jay Powell's strategy on inflation and, and raising interest rates. Okay. After this. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Okay, so now to Jay Powell, John. You see, typically what happens is China exports deflation to America via the fact that China produces huge amount of manufacturing goods cheaply. And that comes into America via import prices and that bears down inflation. That's not happening, yeah. number one. Number two, American headline inflation and American core inflation are now very, very high. The reason headline inflation is very, very high is because food and energy prices have gone up because of our phrase called Putinflation. Putin inflation, stemming, I love it. Exactly. I love it. <laughs> Putin inflation, right? That's inflation stemming from Putin, right? But also because the American labor force is very, very tight. And don't forget, the American economy has been booming, has been doing extremely well. Plus, we have all the internal supply chain problems stemming from the fact that American industry is now just trying to get back into the game after COVID. All of that is pushing American inflation up very, very high. And of course, what Jay Powell has said now is that he wants to get American inflation back down to 2%. If you want to get inflation back down to 2% and it's running at 7%, you've got to increase interest rates quite dramatically. So what the Fed is trying to do is it's trying to prepare the markets for this. And hopefully in the preparation, it'll actually bear down on stock prices. It'll cause stock prices to fall yeah. and that'll take some of the heat out of the American economy. But all of this means that the perception of where the global economy is going has changed dramatically. And the perception now is the global economy is going into what looks like a significant recession. Just before you go there, is there a sweet spot for that interest rate? Well, no, there is always, John, the soft landing. Okay? Oh, yeah, the beautiful the soft, soft landing. soft landing is like the economic equivalent of the Yeti. It's always talked about. It's never seen, okay? Or the Sasquatch, okay? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? So basically what we're having is, and then this comes back to the, the perception of what happens in financial markets, right? And why people yearn things to happen that don't happen. But we tend never to have soft landings. And I'm going to explain to you in a little bit the difference between normal thinking and what we call pendulum thinking, which dominates financial markets. Okay, go but on. That's the American side, right? Then the other little bit of news, of course, is the fact that in Europe, the Putin inflation has caused a dramatic reduction in living standards and real incomes because inflation in Europe is running at 6%. Now, that could be all to do with Putin, it mainly is, but real wages are running at 2%. So it means that there's a drop of 4% in real incomes in Europe right now at a time when the European economy isn't particularly strong. So that means that Europe doesn't drag you out. So if you think the United States is the biggest economy in the world, the second biggest economy in the world is the European Union. In fact, the European Union could be slightly bigger in GDP terms. And the third largest economy in the world, of course, China. Yeah. The three of them are going through their own hassles. And then finally, what you're also seeing is in the nether regions, in the emerging markets, all of this is impacting 
on emerging markets' ability to survive and pay their debts. So although normally a default in Sri Lanka, which happened this week, they defaulted on everything, would not necessarily be an issue, the question is, is it a canary in the coal mine? Is Sri Lanka the leading indicator? And where Sri Lanka goes, Turkey goes, Argentina goes, Brazil goes, all South America, South Africa. And the reason is the following. What has happened? As the Americans have moved to raise interest rates, the dollar has risen dramatically. Okay. Yeah. And the problem with the dollar rising dramatically is that all commodities are priced in dollars, but paid for in local currency. So if the dollar rises dramatically, the price of everything from food to oil, whatever, increases in tandem with this, right? That's the first thing. That means the poor countries that import oil and import food have to sell more of their own product to buy the same amount of oil and wheat that they were buying this time last year, right? So they have to run to stand still in effect. That's the first dilemma. Their second dilemma is all their debts are priced in dollars because people wouldn't lend to them in their own currency. When we talked about Turkey last week, the Turks all save in dollars and borrow in dollars, right? Now, what happens is if the dollar is rising and you've got a debt service bill, two negative things happen. One is the rate of interest is rising because it's a dollar rate of interest. But the second thing, and I come back to this idea, is the basket of goods that they sell to earn foreign currency, to pay for their foreign currency loans, they have to sell a bigger basket of goods to service the same amount of debt that they serviced this time last year. Now that's happening in South Africa, Argentina, Brazil, all these huge, huge countries, right? And that's why what's happening in a country that seems so far away, like Sri Lanka, Mm. could well be not so much a source of contagion, but a leading indicator for what's coming down the tracks. Now, you take all of these things together at a time when financial markets were already overvalued after years of QE and years of the pandemic payments and years of easing money and asset prices going up. And what you're getting is this, to use that overused cliche, this perfect storm in international markets. And then you superimpose finally on this, John, the difference between the way in which people think and the way in which financial markets people think. Because there's two types of humans, right? There's us normal people. Okay? <laughs> normal people, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, me and Sally Rooney, normal people. <laughs> with, with really bad sex scenes, John, okay? <laughs> we won't go into that, Mark. Go on. So what we're basically saying is, in the real world, you know, adversity comes, things go from good to bad or pretty good to pretty bad, right? Yeah. And we make that adjustment and we figure things out. That's normal thinking. There is what I would call pendulum thinking, which is actually the way in which financial markets think. And financial markets go from flawless, whereas everything is fantastic and nothing can go wrong, like our crypto friends last week. Yes, yeah. To hopeless. Everything is disastrous and it's never, ever going to get any worse, right? So what you have is the pendulum of fear to greed. You know, this great pendulum that swings in financial markets. Yeah. And and then you think, why is this? Why does the financial market make these huge, huge pendulum swings in thinking and in feeling? And the reason I say feeling is that what I've given you is a whole load of analytics as to why something is happening. And that makes sense. But what actually drives people in financial markets is a feeling. And it's a feeling of where the herd is, where the crowd is. And this is why I would go to a 
a book which has got something completely different book, John. So one of the most fascinating books I've ever read is a book called Crowds and Power by a man called Elias Canetti. And Elias Canetti was a Bulgarian originally. Yeah. And he was right. He only wrote in German. He was a German academic originally living in Bulgaria, survived the Holocaust, went to live in Germany, which is an unusual choice, I suspect, right? Yeah. And wrote about the dynamics of crowd. We wrote about lots of things, right? And this book was advised to me by none other than Brian Eno. Ooh, okay, so if Brian nice. Eno tells Whoa, you to read a book. Like drop the name there. <laughs> listen, listen, the Al Fresco name dropping here, right? <laughs> but Brian Eno, we were talking about something and he said, have a read of this book, okay? Because Eno's brain, you know, you think about big, Eno and music, big. it's yeah. everything, yeah. right? Yeah. But Kennedy talks about something which is really fascinating, which is the following, which is why do people change in crowds? And I've always been intrigued. You know, the way you hear of like, you know, an English football hooligan gets caught in somewhere, right? Behaving extraordinarily badly. And then the guy goes to court and they say like, you know, Mr. Davis never showed any indications of hooligan behavior. He's an upstanding member of the community. Yes. He's got a job. <laughs> He's a glebe warden in the church or whatever, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> He's a fucking altar boy, right? And I've always, the, the one way of looking at this is, that, yeah, that's bullshit. That's only his defense. But another way of looking at this, maybe that's true. But that person changed profoundly within a crowd. So the crowd gives you permission to behave badly because the crowd itself. It's the mass hysteria it, thing. It's an entity. Yeah. Yes. So you subjugate your own personality, your own feelings, your own real person that you are, and you go with the crowd, right? Which is why crowds have this extraordinary inbuilt dynamic to grow. If you've ever watched a riot, something really amazes me about the way riots occur and how they actually pass and then how they dissipate is that the, the, the crowd gets big, people join the crowd willingly for the excitement of the crowd, yeah. and then sometimes it dissipates as quickly as it emerges, right? And what it's all got to do is our ability, our willingness, our, our psychological dependency on the crowd and how we tend to panic on the up and the downside in the crowd. So you take financial markets. Financial markets are the ultimate crowd behavior, right? I buy crypto because you buy crypto because you yes. talk to me, right? Yeah. I buy this because you buy this. I sell crypto because you sell crypto. We suspend our critical faculties in the crowd and we assume ourselves to this internal energy. And that means that the vast majority of people are what they call in economics momentum investors. So there's a difference right. between momentum investors and value investors. So Warren Buffett mm -hmm. is the classic value investor. And his mantra is be greedy when everybody else is terrified and be terrified when everybody else is greedy, right? So he says, when the crowd is going one way, just go the other way, yeah. right? And he says, even as a rule of thumb, that'll do you very, very well. Because it means you won't get overexposed in the mania and you won't get underexposed in the panic, right? So if you take that idea, and it's also this idea, this guy called Howard Marks, another guy well worth reading a, a book. He, he wrote a very good book about investing called Just One Other Thing. Yes. And he always said, he said that typically the worst decisions are taken in the best of times meaning the worst investment decisions are taken in what feels like the best of times. Because they're kind of giddy. And yeah, when, they, when the crowd is yeah, happy yeah, yeah, and everyone's yeah. like, Jesus, you know how rich I am. And, you know, Irish people will see this if we go back to our housing market, boom and bust, right? 
basically people bought houses because other people bought houses in the early 80s, yeah, er, yeah. early 2000s, right? So the crap. So that leads to then pendulum thinking. And pendulum thinking leads to pendulum swings in financial markets. So what is fascinating for me is that right now we are in the middle of a global pendulum swing. And it's impossible to know where it's going to go, but it's clear it's only going to go one way, which is downwards. Right. right. And during this, you will get all these various different iterations, what they call bear squeezes and all these things. But ultimately, because the background noise has changed, because China is in recession, because America is in a disinflation policy mood, because Europe is probably in recession, and because emerging markets are all finding it impossible to pay their debts, and they have huge food bills. So it's not just debts. Like, you know, Sri Lanka had a choice. Do you use your hard currency, that which you have left, to buy wheat for your people or rice for your people? Or do you buy it, do you use it to pay American bankers? And they said, frankly, we're going to use it to buy wheat. I mean, that's Uh, what the default is. Totally fair enough. That's right. It's completely fair enough. And also the other thing is you should never think that markets are a one-way bet. If I lend money to you, there is a chance that you don't pay me back. As I've always said, financial markets without default are like Catholicism without hell. You can't have it, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So what we're seeing right now, John, and it's, it's, it's a fascinating moment where all these various strands have come together. And it does seem to me that we're on the tip of something significant. So at a 14-year bull market since 2008 to now, where blue skies was the only thing and everything was hunky-dory, has now turned in a couple of weeks into a bear market. And it's impossible to know where this ends. But finally, if you have a little bit of money, go on. Now's the time to go looking around for bargains because they're going to be wholesale. Bargains galore, as my mother used to say. Bargains galore will emerge in the next six months. Uh, the bargain bucket. But go on. the old adage in markets is never catch a falling knife. Meaning, don't think you're clever enough to catch the knife that's falling and you can time it perfectly. So just let the whole thing clear out for a while and then we'll come back and we'll Look at the entrails and see what little bits we like. Before I let you go, I'm just going to give you a quick update. The Doggy Book Festival. It's the 18th of June weekend. We have an extraordinary array of economics, science, politics, culture, the whole shebang. We have 100 speakers coming from five continents covering all sorts of issues. We kick off Bloomsday the 16th with all sorts of Joyce and carry on. It's the 100th anniversary of the publication of Ulysses, so we're going large on Joyce. John and I are kicking it off. We're going to even talk a bit of Joyce. Joyce and mm-hmm. all that malarkey. It'd be very eucaterical. Very eucaterical. All the way to the 19th of June, Sunny Dorky. Check it out. Dorkybookfestival.org. <laughs>